Clay, say what you will about Voyager. Early in this mm. series, the actors are going all out on their shaky cam, bridge shaking, ship shaking, tractor beam has got us caught in some kind of distortion thing. They are um <laughs> just they can't the actors are like really throwing themselves into it and the camera operators are right there getting up into their face and stuff. It really mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. I'm sure it's something that's going to go away in their enthusiasm as seven seasons of the show go by, but right now the the actors are well aware that they came onto a sci, uh, sci-fi show where they need to shake the bejesus out of each other while they get hit with spatial anomalies week after week. Yeah, it's a new crew, it's a new show. You got to prove that you're you got what it takes to be on Star Trek, and then eventually you can get to do the Riker thing where, like, the ship gets hit, and he just sort of, like, puts his hand up to brace slightly. <laughs> and just lean like against the wall. Hitches to the side. <laughs> yeah. Put, put, he just puts one arm up, like, you know, as though the, the train moved and you weren't ready for it. You do, like, the one, the one foot step back to catch your, <laughs> catch your balance. <laughs> it's the uh, getting on an escalator. How you always have to gingerly yes. get on an escalator because <laughs> yeah. it feels like the floor is coming out from under you. Anyway, don't ever get on an escalator with sandals. I have a friend who cut her toe up really bad. Oh, really? On an escalator, yeah. I feel like my parents or someone told me to be like very scared of the end of the escalator when the, the when the tread goes under the the thing. Yeah, I always step over that. Even as like a forty year old, I step over that like like I'm leaping over a puddle of water or something. It's like don't get caught in the machinery. I, it it must have been one of those things that parents were afraid of. Like there was a mass hysteria of yeah. things parents were afraid of it, it, when we were both younger. So like for me, I am terrified of undercooked meat and <laughs> raw meat because <laughs> yeah. my mother drilled it into my brain that if it's not 100% cooked and like gray on the inside, yep. there's a chance you might get sick if you eat it. If there's any fluid that comes out of this piece of meat that you're cutting, this thing needs to go back onto the grill for a couple minutes. Exactly, exactly. We're here to talk about Parallax. It is the third episode of the first season of Star Trek Voyager. It came out on the 23rd of January, 1995. Teleplay goes to Brandon Braga. Story credit goes to Jim Trombetta, directed by Kim Friedman, in-universe date 48439.7, which is 2371. In this episode called Parallax, investigating an apparent distress call, Voyager becomes trapped inside the event horizon of a quantum singularity. Not the exciting horror movie event horizon, just a generic event horizon. About no, I, I, was, I was hoping... <laughs> There was a part of me hoping that when they the sent gates of that hell. hail, <laughs> when they sent that hail to the ship at the event horizon, you were going to hear back, <laughs> Captain Miller, <laughs> Dr. Weir has lost his mind. <laughs> liberate, tute me, liberate, tute me. <laughs> now, you can listen to our coverage of Event Horizon on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show. It's over there. It's one of the early ones we did. It's one of my favorite yeah. sci-fi movies. I love Event Horizon. Yeah. Anyway get into this this is a story this is an episode of two halves clay it's got a sci-fi plot that i don't really mm-hmm. like and think is kind of boring and it's got some decent mm-hmm. character work going on going all around that with the uh Bolana and janeway trying to fix the crew trying to f- i found this interesting plot about trying to like fill the holes of the crew roster that they have because so many people died when the ship got thrown into here how they're going to plug mm-hmm. it with um maquis people I liked the doctor stuff in this one. I think that that is fascinating, and I kind of want to focus on the doctor a little bit. Maybe not right now. But on the other hand, we got a sci-fi plot that feels 
pretty half-assed, and it largely mm-hmm. is just techno babble of people talking about the thing that they're looking at, and also the fact that I predicted what was happening the moment that they hailed the ship the first time. Because oh, 100%. It's, it, no, it yeah, sounds I, like Janeway. <laughs> it sounds like Janeway talking back to you, and it's like, it must be I Voyager. I didn't even, I don't even think I got that far as soon as they were like, we see a ship at the event horizon. I was like, it's us. <laughs> I, I was, cause I was thinking about it. I was like, there must be, have they, if they haven't done this joke on lower decks, I feel like they should, where they come up to one of these things and somebody goes, can we just get this out of the way? Is it just us? Yeah. So we don't have to go around. Can we save some time here and just assume that this is us from the future? Because that's what it always is. Title gives it away, too. Parallax is seeing something from a different perspective. The same thing seen from a different perspective mm-hmm. is a parallax effect. The only time I hear it used is in web design when some websites ask you if you want to add parallax scrolling to something. And I don't really understand what it means, but apparently it has something to do with this Voyager episode. Um, where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with the sci-fi plot or do you, and save the good stuff for the later in the podcast or get the good stuff out of the way and t- then talk about the sci-fi plot? If you agree, um, yeah, I, I, um, if this is a, uh, I have two things to say about this. <clears throat> One, if this is a uh, look into what Voyager is going to be, then sign me up because I loved this episode. I thought really? it was great. Wow, I did yes. This is um, not a joke. You thought it was great? Nope, hundred percent. Wow. Thought it was great. Okay. Uh, the second thing I have to say. Where was this Brandon Braga when he <laughs> had his own show? <clears throat> um, I found even the sci-fi thing as kind of stock as it was, I found interesting because I thought the character work inside of it was really good. Yeah. And like this was this episode was basically everything that I was kind of hoping you would get from the mixing of the crews. Um, like the thing I was kind of lamenting in the last ones, it seemed like they were kind of ironing it out. I thought they kind of got into it in a really satisfying way in this one. And I just really, really liked it. I loved Janeway getting super excited about talking about the engineering stuff with, with, uh, uh, Balana. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just thought like character wise, I thought it was a great episode that, that really kind of made the sci-fi-ness or the, the kind of stock sci-fi thing land a lot easier with me because it was really there to support the other character stuff they were doing. I'll say this about the sci-fi stuff, and then maybe we should probably just stick to the character work because it's the best part. The The best thing to me about the sci-fi aspect is, is that it does thematically match the character stuff in that it's looking at yeah. something from a different perspective is what the sci-fi problem mm-hmm. is, and that's all about Janeway and Taurus's problem in this one. It's about sort of like not judging her based on her fail, you know, trying to trying to understand her outside of a way of what her record says about her and how she's going to fit into this crew and stuff like that. I think that's fine. We'll get back to the sci-fi stuff. I really just think the sci-fi stuff is is boring. It's like bad techno babble, I think is the problem with it. Mm-hmm. But the character work, I like I thought what they did better than Caretaker, at least in terms of characters, that they they whittled it down a little bit. Where there's only three or four major players in this one. It's not the not everyone's trying to get a taste of what's going on like they were in the pilot. So you have a little bit more time to to go with people. I think you have Janeway, Chakotay, uh, Torres, and the Doctor, or like the four that they choose to focus on, and everyone else is kind of relegated to um, supporting cast at that point. I like Janeway and Torres. Um, Again, just to come back to it is like 
we won't do this every time because it's going to get old, but you were making the joke about where's Brenna Braga. It's it's startling to me how different this show is set up than Enterprise is. Yeah, and yeah. there's no relationship between the two of them. Like they're Voyager's at least trying to character like scenes with between characters in these early episodes of Voyager at least always have some kind of um point to them. There's like a disagreement mm. or someone talks about something or they disagree about something or it exposes that the Maquis are kind of like bristling in the backdrop and they want to mutiny against Janeway and stuff like that. And uh, it shows you how Chakotay and Tuvok get along and stuff like that. It shows you how uh, Torres and Chakotay get along. There's All the interactions are interesting and actually show you some kind of characterization where even after two episodes, I feel like I could describe these characters in a way that enterprise just never got to and looking back yeah. like enterprise characters are just talking about nothing they were just full of nonsense right conversations yeah. with each the, other it was really strange the the biggest like uh uh beacon flashing beacon that made me go like what the hell happened with enterprise was the cold open to this mm-hmm. this is a great cold open they get right into the stuff that's the, the the character stuff and it leads into uh the problem and everything and it's all stuff that falls through into the episode and the whole time i'm watching this going like they had like two cold opens in the entire series of enterprise that were anything more than like <laughs> trip being woken, woken up in the middle of the night and then they're like uh trip could you come to the bridge and he's like yeah i'll be there in a second <laughs> it's been a long road you know it's like i don't it's so much every like I don't to know remind if it's people, just... So just to remind people, the cold open of this is the guy coming to Sickwood Bay with a broken nose because Torres punched him in the nose and broke yeah, his Yeah, and, and it goes from there into Chakotay talking about like what he's going to do about, you know, and he doesn't want to, he goes to, he's not going to tell the captain and like the oh, guy Tuvok, like, right. That's his Tuvok conversation. Yeah, it's Tuvok yeah. and Chakotay, yeah. It's really good. And it's like, I don't know if it's the, the glow of the honeymoon phase of a new <laughs> series or something, but like... <laughs> This is already making me like Enterprise less. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it, it's you know, really highlighting I mean, to me Enterprise's flaws in an in interesting way. And I don't know if that's going to fade quickly if this first season of Voyager ends up starting to go downhill or what. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's just um, like the, the character conversations in this episode. I, I can't think of like one episode of enterprise that had as many quality conversations in it through the whole series that this does mm. usually get like one maybe per episode of character interaction and it's fine this one had everybody was kind of going everybody had something to do except tom paris who kept getting like shit canned in this episode which I, that was really funny <laughs> i like what janeway's like no that's idiotic yeah. what you do <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, the the time travel conversation I thought was fantastic when he's like, so you're telling me that us now is looking at us in the future, but we haven't been to the past yet, so we can't have happened if things that we have done have yet to be actually done in the future. And she's like, no, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> and then she kicks up. She's like, you can't pilot the shuttle because you are too much yeah, of an idiot around him, time travel. <laughs> and then she sends him to sickbay to learn how to be a field medic. And she's like, be, gives him like a shitty grin when she tells him that. I don't know why she's going hard on at, uh, at Paris, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just like even Chakotay, who I think of all these characters is probably still 
not the most interesting at this point. He's much better he, in this episode, though, than yeah, Caretaker, I think. He at least has a point of view in this, where he's like now put in a position where he is trying to reconcile being a commander for Starfleet with also the fact that he is responsible for all these Maquis people. And I just thought it was a really good... Um, like the stuff with him and Janeway I thought was really good, seeing how that dynamic is, is going on. Honestly, the only thing that I didn't really like about it was, I don't know, the Doctor stuff was kind of, like it, uh, it just it just felt like needless comic relief. You know? I like, was, I like the fun. Doctor, yeah. I like stuff about it. Like I think that line that he says when Kess comes down to ask, here's another thing, I know everybody's name on this ship already. <laughs> I think I we we went an entire Kess. season with me even Kess. <laughs> I think we went an entire season of Enterprise with me not knowing half the crew's name. But uh, like when he when Kess comes down and asks him for like nit- hydrogenated soil or whatever, yeah, dirt. And he says, "I he says I am the embodiment of modern medicine." Now, how much dirt do you have? <laughs> <laughs> like that whole that whole conversation thing where he's like the the pinnacle of uh medical technology being reduced to like handing out band-aids and giving people dirt i thought that was great yeah um and like when they were you know when he kept getting sidelined while needing someone to fix his projector and stuff i thought that was pretty good but the shrinking thing in and of itself i could take or leave it's it's interesting because i um first off picardo is a terrific actor for this yeah, like he's great. like the perfect one to play the doctor role um what i like about it is that i will admit that it, it's hard to tell what this episode is doing with him because a lot of it does seem like it's comic relief once he starts shrinking it turns into mm. this weird kind of comic relief where you know he's talking to them and he's sort of distorted and he looks like he's on a funhouse mirror and they're they're all like sitting there seriously listening to him and then it, it like clicks off and they just turn around and no one talks about him i think there's um it's intentional, but I wonder how intentional it is that it's obviously intentional that they're playing it as the doctor is kind of a dehumanized character because no one thinks that he's a real person. But mm-hmm. in in like a reality based situation, it's such a strange setup to have this doctor. Like it would be like Siri telling you about the song that you're listening to, and then you're expected to be like, Oh, thank you, Siri. Like that was Terrific right, what you right. just did there. I can understand everyone just when he's done talking on the TV screen, they just click it off and everyone just turns back and goes like, Well, that's a hell of a thing. Anyway, back to the, <laughs> the anomaly. And I I think Picardo's so good at portraying the sadness of this hologram that it's like mm-hmm. better than what it's being treated as. And it's clear that that's the direction that they want to take him. But I think it's a really fascinating plot line that the doctor is basically disrespected because he's not considered to be a real person. He's just a computer program. I, th- I think it's kind of neat. I could do without... Some of the comic relief is a little bit silly. I, w- I will say that. Mm-hmm. Like they, they come back to the the well of the incredible shrinking doctor a few times too often. But outside of that, I like the concept behind it. It does bring up some you know nerdy questions where the answer is just, you know it doesn't matter, just enjoy the show. Um, when when he gets into those kinds of when you get into those kind of things and you're like, well, why did they program this holographic doctor to be kind of a dickhead who cares what people think about him? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, why does this holographic program have feelings? Yep. Uh, why is he more advanced know, than uh, data in some ways? Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I guess, I, I guess technically, 
all holodeck programs are more advanced than data to some yeah. extent yeah um because they are such perfect replicas of of human beings and emotions and actions and stuff but then it does you do start thinking about like well I mean, is there's there's programs built in, so he was programmed with this. But I mean, Deep Space Nine, we do meet the guy he's built off. Of, yes, right? if I yeah, remember correctly, do. yeah, yeah. So who who is like this, this doctor? It's the same yeah. personality. Yeah. So, so that probably explains that. They, they kind of have a little of a, a virtuosity thing too, where he's built on like an amalgamation of famous medical experts. Like he's a mm. com- he's like Sid yeah. six point seven or whatever. Like he's a combination of not serial killers in this one, but um, medicine people and. I guess it does bring up, like, if you wanted to get into the philosophy of this, it's like, does he actually feel things, or is it the computer program just like a holodeck character, sort of accurately portraying emotion in a way that Data mm. was never able? Like, are they faking it until they make it as a holodeck creation? You know, if that's the case, why is he programmed to be so morose and sad about <laughs> things instead of being a happy-go-lucky doctor who's happy to do anything? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, on the one hand. I think I think if you wrote the character to be emotionless, then that's not fun because it is more fun to. I, I mean, it is such a great new take on the crotchety Star Trek Doctor, where the reason that he's crotchety now is because he's the smartest thing on the ship and nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like the Doctor stuff. Um, I like Chakotay in this one too. I would just highlight his um his conversation with Bolana at the very start after he talks to Tuvok and then he goes to visit her. And he just gives mm-hmm. it, it's I think that's that like Enterprise never had a character like Chakotay in this, who's not a great character so far, but is like who is juggling multiple interests at the same time. Like he has to deal mm-hmm. with Tuvok in one way, and then when he gets to Bolan, he's like, Don't fuck this up for me. Because like I'm trying to do something here, and I, yeah. I need to have everyone on my side here, so it's like there's a depth to him that is it's just like refreshing so far yeah. as we've come so far without seeing that stuff. And I think a lot of the characters work that same way. I think Tuvok continues to be great when he tells him he's like, "All right, but I'm still going to put this in my report." Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> so it's, it's good stuff. I the only bad character stuff I think is. I thought I thought it was a little. I hate to use the word, but I did, I did cringe a little bit when Janeway and Belana Torres get very excited about the science stuff and they start talking very mm. close to each other. I didn't really care for that. Didn't like that much at all. And I didn't really like the that ship is going backwards now. We its ass is pointing at us I and it wants us to like enter. That. It wants us to enter us from the behind or whatever. It's yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. I think I like that only because that's something that they've never really done in this situation. Where they they're coming back to the ship, and then there are two ships to choose from, and they don't know. I mean, honestly, if they pick the wrong ship, what's the worst that can happen? They just fly through it. I don't even know what the deal is. But well, they they were like, "Oh, we landed. This must be the right one." And I was saying, "Well, isn't the other ship real as well? Like, if they landed right. on it, wouldn't they just?" tell everyone we got to do this other thing because i the guess other sh- i mean if if you want to use insane time travel logic what they should have said is well we don't have any memory of a shuttlecraft smashing into the back of our ship so <laughs> whichever one we choose is the correct one <laughs> that's, that's- um <clears throat> i uh yeah i i i actually liked them getting ex- i like janeway getting excited about it because she has that technological background yeah science background and I find that I find that very charming 
for a character like her who is this trying to portray this sort of like no nonsense Starfleet captain thing, but she also still gets really excited about stuff she's actually legitimately interested in. Yeah. Like Picard no. was not interested in stuff, you know? It's like right. he he's there, he's happy to stand there and go like, okay, what does that mean? Um He was born to be in command. And, Janeway seems like she's right. in command for some reason, but her heart is in the science aspect of right. it. Right. So what I don't like about that stuff though is i feel like i can see the future of of that kind of writing in those scenes where those types of reactions where you've got two characters who are you know bonding over getting excited about techno babble um doesn't have the rest of this story tacked onto it so now it just becomes like a shorthand for two characters like they do in discovery all the time like i remember we we would critique it in discovery where it would be like a scene of two people com- finishing each other's sentences about yeah. techno babble like that's supposed to be interesting or be like oh look at them getting closer it's now it's just lazy yeah and it's always it's it's always now techno babble that doesn't actually like have any weight to it it's just it's just saying words for other people to can finish the sentences and feel like oh my god we're on the same page yeah here it it has like it has weight to it like there's a reason that she's having that reaction there's a like the story is character about wise yes Jan- yeah, yeah 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 uh the story is about janeway having to pick a new engineer and not thinking that torres is the right person to do it because she doesn't know if she blah, blah 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 and so actually seeing them bond over this stuff and kind of torres prove herself that is the story that is the character stuff. It's yes. not just a throwaway scene where two characters can say techno babble at each other and go like, "Oh my god, you went, you read the same books I did, or whatever." You know? Yeah, that's fair. I, I will say that in the context of their conversation, I would agree with that. I think that there's a point for their techno, like the the scene is built around them sort of spitting nonsense at each other, but the the reaction of the characters is the most important part of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I thought. In general, I thought that this sci-fi plot was ninety-nine percent techno babble and like the ship shaking, like that yeah. was the extent of it. It didn't really. I I was pretty. I I thought that Voyager's use of techno babble in describing the sci-fi setup was like egregious. I was like, oh no, mm-hmm. like this is this is not something that this is something. In contrast to Enterprise, I don't feel that Enterprise ever did this this way. I don't think Enterprise was ever a show that was like, let's just talk about nonsense for a long time. They mm-hmm. might not have had anything to say, but they didn't have this like th- these scenes on Voyager where the camera is cutting between characters who are all saying just a line of nonsense that's like describing mm-hmm. what the thing is going on. That that doesn't really interest me. And I know that Voyager does do that a lot eventually. It becomes a series that's like relies heavily on that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Here here I think it's a little bit better. But I still, just to go back to, I wish the strength of the sci-fi plot was a little bit more interesting. Like, mm-hmm. to tie it into the end where they pick the wrong ship, this feels like one of those prime episodes where you get to the end and the character's like, eh, close enough. <laughs> like, it, it's the Homer yeah. Simpson did, like tongue <laughs> yeah. thing, that episode. It's like, eh, like this. I guess this feels okay, but are we ever really yeah. certain that this is the right crew? You know, that kind of a thing. Yeah. D- didn't have that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think it's too early for that kind of ending. Mm-hmm. I think you can do that eventually, but I, it feels like I actually thought they were going the other way before they before they did this whole um, quantum singularity. It's us being reflected through the bottom of a pond or whatever, <laughs> looking up at the ice. <laughs> yeah, when people th- that explanation, I was like, "What?" 
That's why the techno babble you... version of a metaphor, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, I was like, why do you have to be at the bottom of the pond? Why can't, why can't you be outside? I'm a, I don't like know. a window. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, why? I guess if you're inside a house looking out a window and you see a reflection, it looks like another person inside. <laughs> that works just as well. You don't have to drown to death uh, in order for, for that metaphor to work. Yeah. Um, but when, when it started out as like, oh, the, <clears throat> the doctor's projector is getting weird and people are getting headaches and acting strange, I was like, man, is this like, is it written into the contract that the second episode of these shows have to be the crew acts crazy? Yeah. But luckily, they didn't go that way. I was expecting like a naked now type situation, but thankfully, they didn't go that way. No, for how much they stress the headaches, they don't. It doesn't mean anything really. It's yeah. like the, the most the most detrimental thing is that the doctor's uh, projector stops working appropriately. Harry Kim gets a headache like somebody hit him in the head with a ball peen hammer. Though. Yeah, he's just walking down the thing, and he's like, "Well, you know." Ah! <laughs> But as, ah. as Tuvok's carrying him away, they have like eighty-yard lines. He's like, can't focus. <laughs> it's, like, it's quite a quite a migraine that Harry Kim has. Harry Kim took a backgrounding in this one. I think he's not yeah, really focused no. on or anything like that. But it's not his episode. I don't. Think. I I'm going to be interested to see what they do with him because I feel like though he was a good point of view character in the first episode, I think he has the 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 longest road as far as finding relevance in this crew. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, you can turn that into his story if you want to, but I don't know if they're going to do that. Yeah, he's the most, um, he's the most ill-defined. He feels the most just like an audience avatar. That's like, this is what it would be like to be on yeah. Voyager. You don't, you don't really have a skill or anything like that. Um, any quick, any, we're very early, but like any character power ranking updates for you? I thought Chakotay went up quite drastically in this one. He's, I don't think he's great, yeah. but he improved off the first one. Uh, people who went down... Uh, Neelix more than Kess just because of that incredibly strange thing where Neelix explains what an event horizon is as the camera follows him uh, sequence. That was yeah. weird. I didn't know what that was all about. That was, I don't need yeah. Neelix to explain the sci-fi to the audience anymore. That was that was the strangest thing about this episode. Between Neelix explaining what an event horizon is <clears throat> and Tom Paris's time travel explanation <laughs> and the... <laughs> looking up at the bottom of a pond explanation it was like it was like they were making a sci-fi show for people who hadn't been watching star trek for 40 years yeah. at this point yeah and like you know what it's like they they're covering stuff that i feel like generally you don't really need to get that in depth to it struck me as felt um, it felt um it felt artificial to the universe of star trek yeah. like the tom paris yeah. thing where he's he's like wait a minute let me let me break down how strange this time travel thing is. That doesn't really ever feel like it happens in Star Trek. Everyone, all the characters just no. kind of accept it. Someone will say like, "Yeah, this is how time works," and they go, "Except oh, okay. to Paul. Yeah, to Paul sure. wouldn't accept that shit. She's she would in- need that explanation." <laughs> and then at the end, she'd be like, "I don't believe it, even though I just experienced it." And just um, an F- yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say, as far as Neelix goes, I still, man. I got a great glimpse into the problem that this cat. I'm still not convinced that Neelix is a good idea. Okay. Because no, I don't think uh, he's going to prove you wrong. <laughs> because they're having this ready room scene or com- conversation or what the hell, whatever the room is, the the conference room. Yeah. Sit around conference room. Yeah. And they're all talking about this thing, and then Neelix and Kess just walk in and go, "Hey." Can we be part of this too? And I was like, oh, that does not bode well for these characters. <laughs> this is a and senior then, staff <laughs> meeting, if you don't mind. And then Janeway's like, let's not make a habit of it. But yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
not not great when that's your uh, <clears throat> when that's one of your uh, uh, main character types is uh, figuring out ways to force his way into the plot. I, I think the problem there might actually be a Kess problem because Kess maybe I think, yeah. I think Kess should be a character who's like. Neelix, these people have things to do. Like, let's get the hell. Yeah. They can't both be so oblivious that they're interrupting something. Like, Neelix, I can understand, but Kesh should be constantly pulling his arm to be like, let's get the hell out of here. Like, what the hell are you talking about? They are oh, they are a weird pairing because I forgot that they were, like, lovers. Because mm-hmm. uh, the way that they showed up, it felt very much like it, it was my day with the kids. I had to bring my daughter. <laughs> I, yeah, I can't she needs something to do can we sit in on this meeting while you talk about time travel there's they're a strange duo um he, he doesn't his his presence isn't really rewarded in this one outside of that um i think it feels to me i'm i'm interested to see when what he claims is his strength actually comes into play yeah because i feel like both episodes have had scenes where they're like yeah, we don't really need your Neelix. He's like, oh, but wait a minute. You don't know how anything works out here, and I'm the only one who can help you. And so far, he has not helped them at all no. in that regard. No, he hasn't. They haven't really run. Well, they ran into the, the case on, I guess. Here, he's he's of no use whatsoever because he can't do anything. Um, mm-hmm. So at the end of it, so I, I think my one concern here is that living in this world where we know that there are seven seasons of this show, Things are happening a little too quickly, I think, in terms of okay. like integration of the Maquis and yes. Torres getting a position already. Like, I, I w- it's a little concerning when a character, the second episode into a seven season where there's like 192 episodes, has already become ingratiated into the crew. And it's not like they're going to spend the season working out how the Maquis are going to fit into things a little bit right. better. Even though I like. One character interaction that I've kind of forgotten about but I think is good is I can see huge potential between Chicote and Janeway having conversations at the end of episodes. Yes. I think I think that those yeah. two really work well together. And I liked their ending here where they're talking about like as they're looking down on Torres as she's starting her new job and she shakes hands with the guy. I'm just a little concerned that five episodes in, there's not going to be anything left to talk about <laughs> with this right. stuff. And that yeah. seems like it's probably going to be the case, but that's just a, it's a pacing issue. I think more than anything. Yeah. That I, I, my, my concerns from the first episode remain that it's like, yeah, they're moving too fast with this stuff. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I'm worried that as much as I liked this episode, it's going to be like the last time that they talk about this stuff. Because mm-hmm. that's what, it, like like you're saying, Torres gets integrated very quickly, or I mean, at the end of this, by the end of this episode anyway, and it's it kind of feels like things are ironed out for the most part. I hope I'm wrong. I hope this stuff does continue. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't think it has the shelf life that we would hope it does yeah. based on how quickly they're moving with it. Yeah. I, I um, Because I like the balance of antagonism and 90s comfort track to it. Like the, the characters mm-hmm. are yeah. antagonistic towards each other, but it's not this like emotional turmoil in the way that they, they talk to each mm-hmm. other. It's very much within the bounds of how Starfleet officers talk to each other. I, I think the best example is... um. 
Tuvok and Chakotay talking to each other. Like they're antagonistic and they have different roles on the ship and different responsibilities for what they were supposed to be looking out for. But there's mm-hmm. still there's still this organization to how things flow through it. Like Chakotay takes advantage yeah. of the fact that he's in charge. He's like he's a higher rank than Tuvok. He's like, you're not going to say anything because I'm telling you you're not going to say anything. And I, I like that stuff, but... Again, just to, to say it again, it's it, it could fade quickly. And I think that that's unfortunate to this point. Like back to Caretaker, redoing this in a modern sense, the, the Maquis should still have Maquis uniforms. Through the, like, oh, there, there has to be yeah. a bigger split than the, yeah. what there is now. Definitely. And there should be some, there should be more tension over any of the Maquis in positions of authority on the ship, not yep. just... Uh, Torres and the and the engineer guy, and um, the threat of mutiny should be real. And I don't feel that those two random Maquis people talking to Chicote felt like a real threat. You know, that just felt like right, Chicote. Right. That was Chicote saying, "Like I'm going to stamp this out now." But I, I feel that the threat of mutiny should be a very real, present danger for Janeway in this series. And I don't, I don't think that's ever going to be the case. You know, at the same time, though, I do also like that Chakotay is on board. Like I like I I I like that what I find interesting about his character is <clears throat> he very clearly is still a maquis but he is also aware of that he has to operate within the Starfleet parameters right now. And I like that tension when he's talking with the other Marquis members where he's like, yeah, I don't like this. I don't want to be part of fucking Starfleet, but we're part of Starfleet. So shut up. Yeah. Don't say mutiny or I'll put you in the fucking brig for 75 years. Yeah. Like I, I like that tension, especially when you've got other Marquis members who are maybe not as down for this as yeah. he is or as he has to present as. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I hope they keep this stuff up, but. I'm not sure if they will. You know, the thing about that that conversation with Tuvok, which I really like, that again, not to talk down on on the Enterprise, <clears throat> um, that conversation tells me that they know these characters mm-hmm. because that felt very much like a, a Chakotay. It felt like two characters who are talking about uh, 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 talking about something who are acting very much within the. Um, parameters of what kind of character they are even if the stuff they're talking about is is either not super interesting or or you know doesn't have that it's not a high drama scene yeah so that's the one thing that gives me hope is that they know these characters well enough that they can still write interesting conversations like that it had it reminded me a bit of like a quark and um Oh, my mind just blanked. Odo? Uh, Odo conversation, where it's like, we, we know who these guys are, so we know how these guys are going to clash with each other. And that's kind of what I was saying when we were, when we were in Enterprises. That's what Enterprise is missing. These, all of these characters are so bland yeah, and like undefined that you don't have these character, you don't have these conversations where you know where each one of them stand before they start talking to each other. Yeah. You know? So it's... It's it's nice to see characters that are considered and written and acted in a way that's that's just more satisfying to me than than how they did them on Enterprise. It's interesting to me because it's such a big di- like it's not like we know a lot about these characters. They have basically like a one sentence description that defines what they are, but right. the, the writing is still leaning into that in a way that Enterprise never did. Like there's a 
this show is embracing Tuvok is the Vulcan. Like it embraces that fact and it writes him in my opinion, Mm -hmm. like how Vulcans should basically act. And he has room for performance and like a sort of like reserved emotionality that he's clearly thinking and things annoy him, you know, when things annoy Tuvok, but it's not, it's not written in such a way that it's like completely detrimental to what they are. Like they, they embrace what a Vulcan is in talking to Chakotay and that, then that's the thing. It's just, it's, it's Mm -hmm. strange to me not to go back to enterprise, but just that, Enterprise never really attempted that. It never got to the first sentence of a character description. It was never like this is what Mayweather right. is all about. They just they just gave up right from the start. They never ever attempted that to the fact that he's like a boomer freighter son or whatever. There was never a character thing for Mayweather. No, he he never had a trait right. about right. anything he liked or anything he did. It was just it's really strange. And I'm yeah, super refreshed about Voyager. I just I enjoy Voyager these early episodes, even if I'm not enamored by like the sci-fi stuff. It's a relief to have character interactions on these TV shows at this point. Yeah, I think <clears throat> bringing up Mayweather's is a great comparison because I think you can use that as a, as a lesson about writing characters and creating characters because. You can give your character all the backstory in the world, but unless that informs a certain point of view that your character has, it's not worth anything. Yep. So you can say, <clears throat> Mayweather, oh, he's fantastic. He's he was he's a boomer. He was born on a starship. He knows space better than he knows Earth. You know, he's he's used to pirates and all this kind of stuff. Great, great. What does that mean for him as he interacts with everybody else in the show? Well, don't worry, he's not going to interact with anybody very much in the show, so it doesn't matter. You know what I mean, though? It's like yeah, it's the yeah. it's the kind of thing where it's like, that's great. You can sure he can't he is read. He's got a a, a history, a military history. Uh, his fa- all of his family are military men. He went into the service because his his father was in the navy, and he's really uh, comes from a, a posh upbringing. Yeah. Cool. How? Do, what does that mean for him as like a as like how he approaches problems on Enterprise? I don't know. Uh, sometimes him. he, yeah. yeah, he shoots people, and sometimes he seems so repressed that he might just start humping a fruit, <laughs> pineapple. Um, you know, it's like it's 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 that's I think that's a really important distinction to make because if you can define the way your character will act based on the things that you've written about them. It doesn't matter how much or how little you've written. What's important is how this character presents and acts with the stuff that is presented to him and the situations that he's put in. Yeah. I already feel more of an emotional connection too. And, and I have to say, I'm, I'm familiar with Voyager. I have not watched a lot of Voyager. I've not seen a lot of Voyager. I haven't spent a great deal of time with this crew. I already feel more connected to this crew than the Enterprise crew, which is really interesting. 100%. To me. Like 100%. I, yeah. And, and I don't think that the show has even really stressed the conundrum of Voyager to this point. It feels just like a next gen episode where they're, they're out in the middle of space somewhere and they can get home whenever they want. So it's not that I feel pathos for like their situation of being stranded anywhere, but I do feel that they're at least having real character conversations with each other. And mm. it's nice. It's more, it's more, um, not really. It's more. I don't, it it just feels warmer or something. Like sitting and watching this episode just felt like more comfortable 
than these the Enterprise yeah. episodes did. That's it. That's my final point. Yeah. No, I would agree. I think. I mean, I think some of that is probably the that '90s Trek, yeah, uh, design aesthetic that's just so comfortable for for so many people. Um, and I mean, <clears throat> when you put that up against the Enterprise aesthetic, the Enterprise aesthetic is very jarring. Yeah, Enterprise uh, aesthetic like I, looks better production-wise, I will say. They're like, Voyager looks like they put some cardboard and painted it together in a couple of these shots where they're yeah, showing the conference room. You know, it's, a, it's really interesting. We're getting into territory. I don't know if you remember how well you remember like uh, Star Trek Three: Search for Spock. But it was like you're coming off of Wrath of Khan where everything is so beautifully art, art directed and the design is exquisite. The ship looks fantastic. The bridge looks great. Then you get to Star Trek three and it's like, oh, boy, they just got some <laughs> chairs from the craft place and yeah. like glued some some like rubber uh, rubber, you know, boning on them to make it look kind of futuristic. And yeah. ugh. Use a, use a couple fewer lights and we won't be able to see where the stage ends. <laughs> you know, it's and it's not quite that bad. But like if you think about how <clears throat> we were talking about this when we did the, the rewatch of Pegasus, how brilliant a design the Enterprise D bridge is and how solid it looks and how it's yeah. just like uh, theatrically well designed. And Voyager feels like kind of the the, you know the discount version of that where it's like yeah kind of same aesthetic but it's you know it's not quite as shiny as and and well made as the the original to me it feels like a tv version of what the bridge on the enterprise e the movie enterprise becomes which is like it 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 doesn't have the character but it's clearly like easier to shoot or something it's just sort of levels Mm. it's people on different levels of risers and you can get everybody in the shots and stuff like that and i don't the the, i'm not hugely impressed with the production value of voyager to this point like i i think it just looks kind of shitty so and a lot of it's through the standard definition that we're watching but i don't think the sets look great at this point it looks like it's all thrown together. yeah i don't i don't think there's a set on the ship where i've got with that i feel like is iconic or memorable even the bridge i mean like if i'm pitch honestly the bridge in my mind, I think I'm just picturing the bridge from the, the Enterprise. Yeah. Because I it I don't nothing about the uh um Voyager Bridge stands out. I think the design of the actual ship is nice. Yeah. And I like how the nacelles click up go before up, they yeah. go into uh, uh light speed. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. Um Mostly but yeah, otherwise it's you're they're kind of putting a lot of a lot of design weight yeah. on the uniforms, I think. Yeah, getting the job done. I think the most iconic um, ship design aspect is the new warp core. It looks like a like a lava lamp mm. type thing. It just looks yeah. different than the the Enterprise yeah. did. All right, well, I guess we're done. That's Parallax. Thanks everybody for listening. If you want to support the show and you enjoyed the coverage today, you can go to Patreon.com/slash The Penske File, and that's where you support us. A couple dollars a month gets you all the continuing Voyager episodes. You can watch us. Slowly fall out of love with Voyager over the course of the next 190 yeah. episodes, but we're having a good I'm time. I'm sure. I'm sure everybody listening to this is just like, you know, listening to me You'll wax see. poetic about my love of this episode, <laughs> and then they're like, "You just <laughs> wait till you, wait till wait till the third date, Clay." Yep, yep. Sober up a little bit. Patreon.com slash the Penske Files. Support us there. It means a lot. It continues our coverage of Voyager. It will cover every single episode as long as we stay above that goal currently that we're at. 
which is nice. And you get access to a whole bunch of other stuff. We're currently covering Star Trek Picard right now. It comes out on the Saturdays. Season two of Star Trek Picard, only found on patreon.com slash the Penske file. So if that interests you, head on over. Mm-hmm. And now I give a special thank you to our captain tier supporters who include Ben Douglas, Tark Latif, Andrew Sherlock, Joint Mango, Kyle Barrett, Mike Burnett, Christian Pouch, Michael Pond, Matthew Rusk, Matt Cutler, Matt, uh, Brandon Howells, Nick Sergey, Grim Santo, Sean Bradley, Killens, Neil Brennan, Dwayne Hackett, Vault 13 Hero, Tax Owlbear, Kevin Reyes, Darth Mosk, Jordan Cooper, Russell Elledge, Stephen Minton, HH28, Eric McGowan, Ewan, what is this? What are all these names? Hold on a second. Oh, you sneaky son. I was about to list every single goddamn patron we have. Clay, I'll go back. Dwayne Hackett, Vault 13 Hero, Kevin Reyes, Darth Moss, Jordan Cooper, Russell Ellis, Stephen Minton, HH28, Derek Zajac, Paul Roscoe, Jacob123, Patrick C, Poindexter G, Dave Davies, Nick the Rat, Captain Brazic, Eric St. Juan, Jakey's Gamber, Kevin Lowry, Droppel John Zone, William Schleisler, Rayhan Jaffer, Soylent Blue, Zane Majors, Olivia Pardot, Tom Hickey, Jose Hunter, ZWNF Remixes, Disbrada, Captain McMunchausen, James McLennan, Ed Mark Starr, Jonas, Tommy Tango, Two Fix Must Die, Chris McLaughlin, and Royo, and Rage Against, or Rage for the Machine. Excuse me. Thanks, everybody, for supporting us. It means a lot. Patreon comments now. There's 15 of them, I think. If you're a $5 and up patron, you can leave your thoughts. We'll read them. Norman Buckwald says, Parallax. So for this one, the anomaly of the week is not that remarkable, but it's really about Belana Torres and Janeway eventually seeing her worth for the ship. The latter is handled quite well. At least we see some signs of the Maquis not fully on board, especially through Seska. Is that the woman? Is that who Seska is? I don't know who Seska is. And already there's a demonstration of Janeway's captain having some good lines. Still, the anomaly sounds like a sounds like a delightful soda from the 1980s. Yeah, or like a, Seska, a hotel level of coffee, like the instant coffee that you yes. can get yeah. from a hotel. Nice, uh, nice wine cooler, Seska. Still, the anomaly is boring, and the writing of the character Joe Carey is not that great. He's the engineer guy, and if he's the model character that either insults Michael Burnham or disregards Data or Geordi, is worthy of commanding the ship. 2.5 parallel voyagers out of five. James McLennan says, instead of having the Maquis take time and struggle to integrate with the Starfleet crew, we get one episode for Bolana to become the last to comply. While I enjoy the moment with Janeway and Bolana bonding over their fondness for science, this episode is largely forgettable. The subplot with the Doctor shrinking, however, is hilarious, if only for the dead series portrayal Robert Picardo gives. To tip my hand, I find him to be the best character and best actor in the series. 2.5 out of five. Jonathan J.K. Morris says, A sneak peek of what could have been if two crews integrating played out over the season or the first 10 episodes. Parallax is fun to watch. Enjoy the technical talk of how to organize the ship for the voyage home and solving the puzzle of the anomaly. Good episode after the pilot to start with. Four out of four angrily thrown table decorations out of five. <laughs> Point extra G, this episode's sci-fi plot is merely a device to drive the real storyline, integrating the Maquis crew into Starfleet. The anomaly is a very clever puzzle to solve, but pushing the decision about a chief engineer to its own episode was a great idea. Janeway and Bellana are both great in this episode, and I think you can understand where they are where they and others like Tuvok and Chakotay are coming from on all this. It's nice that Carrie wasn't a dick at the end. This sets up the potential Maki versus Starfleet conflict. How well the series follows up on that remains to be seen. That could Ben. As a new viewer, this episode seems like what I always thought Star Trek was. Aliens, big ships, science problems, techno babble. I feel what sets it apart is the character moments, which seem minimal but are impactful. A good episode, but I have the feeling I'll see many that are just as good. Three out of five. Patrick Seba says, watch this silly, fun plot from a bath in the Hague. The chain of uh, chain of command, or the Hog, is it the Hog? It's the Hague, right? Hague? 
Hague? I always thought it was the Hague, but I don't know. It is Hague, yeah. The chain of command is clusterfuckingly vague. Promote staff on a lark, uh, carries just a wet fart, but with Paris and sick bay, we'll all get the plague. The collated collected wisdom of four incandescently brilliant medical professionals out of five. Thank you very much. Latte Librarian says, Kess's interaction with the doctor was nice, and she's clearly the only person that sees the doctor as a person so far. Beltran's performance seems a bit wooden. But Dawson did well with Bellana. Kind of seems a little more despair from the crew would be appropriate given the situation they're in, but maybe that will be covered later. Three soil samples out of five. That is one thing <clears throat> that I don't think that they have played up is how desperate their situation actually is. It, it, never, yeah, they, it doesn't come across. Yeah, it's like it's you know another day in Starfleet on this ship when they're talking about how they're going to have food in like four days. Yeah. You know, they Shutting down power decks to keep food right. to, yeah, going. Yeah. So it would be yeah, it would be nice if if there was a bit more stress. Um but at the same time, again, I don't know. I think there's for some reason that that nineties Star Trek sensibility is just very comforting. And it's yeah. like, I do we really want these people like <laughs> in torn str- uniforms <laughs> freaking out over where they're whether or not they have enough water to live and stuff. It's like, I, I mean yeah, I don't kind of, the, but also I can't go to sleep to that. So I wonder if these, if the conference room conversations, conversations are supposed to cover it. I, I feel like they should be at least talking about it more, if not stressed out. Yeah. Like there should be a little bit more discussion of like, how do we speed this up? How do we get home faster? I, and I guess that the replicator shutting down the the deck to power the replicators is like kind of hinting at that, but it it's strange like their their tone about talking about stuff like that is that they should be a little bit more stressed than they are considering that that seems like a pretty drastic thing to have to do to get home yeah we'll, we'll yeah. see royo says it's interesting to think how this is the type of the episode that would have gene roddenberry spinning in his grave since it so thoroughly destroys the roddenberry box with character conflict and yet despite all that for a second episode of a new star trek show it feels shockingly formulaic for the franchise now that i'm older cynical and have complete access to all these star trek episodes i see the techno babble for what it is and connect more with the character work of balana and the first steps being laid for the doctor's arc Belana being disgruntled and unmotivated until a path of advancement is open to her strikes a chord with Masons. I find people tend to not better themselves without incentives. It's also somewhat interesting that just two episodes in, the show is being accused of misandry, sexism, and being too feminist, and that the writers were being leftist hypocrites, as seen in Jammer's Review's Parallax comment section. 27 years after the airing, this episode with a tepid reputation left some boiling with outrage. Three out of five. What? Uh, Jammer's is a online review blog for star trek i think he's talking about the comments in there are complaining about the the series is this like at, at the time or is this no it's contem- contemporary could people could these still people, post on jammers reviews i think these people need to go outside welcome back to our podcast um yeah i it is it is it is interesting that it didn't get pushback for being anti Roddenberry, really, because this is kind of a series mm-hmm. built around that. And in some ways, like people focus on DS9 for that, but Voyager has that yeah. in spades, too. Uh, yeah, Voyager, I mean, arguably more so. Well, I was going to say arguably more so, but only because everybody who's arguing, who has problems with each other, are wearing Starfleet uniforms. Yeah. But I mean, technically, it's. Well. Yeah, I guess, I guess if character drama is something he doesn't like full stop, then no, he would have hated the show. Yeah. Kyle Barrett says, 
Parallax, Bolana is the unsung hero of early Voyager, injecting some anger and energy into a series that can easily slip into milk toast monotony. All the drama I want from the show is personified by her, and while I wish it would spread, I'm glad that it's there somewhere. Very much an episode of two halves, I think the character drama and integration difficulties could have supported the whole episode without the boring singularity plot and the return of Technobabble that had me begging for an Enterprise action sequence. It also stumbles toward the ends when Janeway, in her schizophrenic scientist mode, is convinced to promote Bolana because of her scientific brilliance when that was never really the thing in question. Her interpersonal skills are the issue. More should have been made of Bolana accepting Janeway's decision of which ship was the correct one because that's the real lesson. Three, four by three doctors stretched to CinemaScope out of five. Yeah, I will say that I think this might not be the right second episode as far as your Star Trek plot because I, I do, like, like we've been saying the whole time, I think there's other stuff at stake at this point. Yeah, when you've just discovered you've, you're stuck in a in the Delta Quadrant 75 <laughs> years from home, that's a little bit you of know, a formula, I don't know if, right? Like they they can't yeah. they don't this, the series doesn't feel comfortable just having a character episode where the ship doesn't run into any kind of problem and we deal with that stuff. And I you know I think that's kind of why I don't mind the sci-fi plot so much because like i understand yeah it's a star trek show you got to do that and it services the stuff that i'm interested in well enough yeah um but yeah all things being ideal i probably wouldn't have jumped to quantum singularity in episode two before we figure out like what if we did an episode where these people have to figure out how to deal with each other for like in a a serious way and figure out how to get home and what the plan is and all that kind of stuff yeah Christian Pouch says, immediately glad to see things are not all hunky-dory between the Maquis and Starfleet crews. Unfortunately, by the end of the episode, Torres gets promoted because she had a nerd moment with the captain without addressing her anger issues, and Carrie just goes along with it because they don't flesh him out any further. The sci-fi plot is a great little causality loop idea, but Voyager does love its techno babble, and there's a lot of it. 3.5 out of 5. I do think, I do think that last scene with Carrie is a misstep. I think you could have gotten the same result, but not had him completely demure to her. I would have had him be angry about it. I would have been. I think it's a more realistic for that character to be pissed off about what happened there because it's kind of bullshit what Janeway did. Yeah, I think I think you can have him be pissed off and, or at least, <laughs> at least have Torres apologize. Yeah, because <laughs> he cut. He comes over and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, sorry, things got her out of hand over there, but you know, I'm, I'm with you there, Chief." And she's like, "Great, back to your station." <laughs> like, uh, sorry, before we go, you did break my face, uh, really unnecessarily. Do you think you could? I mean, you know, and maybe that's just a character failing on on Bolanas, but like w- within that kind of scene that they're trying to do there, yeah, it does come off as very sort of like. Uh, um, they're not really thinking that one through. They're just going for the the positive upswing for that story. Yeah, which I, it, it, there could be more interesting. You'd you'd run into like it, it's definitely a deeper written series that would involve that because it directly flies in the face of what Janeway and Chakotay are talking about, where the crew is integrating so nicely, only to have them mm-hmm. immediately have that be undone by that conversation. Like they're they're looking at it through rose-tinted glasses too much and that like the, the conflicts are deeper than just sort of getting people in the right positions um, but I don't know if the show mm-hmm. cares about that 
Matt Ross says, it's clear that the two crews are not one big happy family. It's an interesting story beat that shows a real strain from Corey's bloody nose to the chafing between Janeway and Chakotay. The doctor's lack of bedside manner is humorous. And his realization that he's a second-class crew member comes through. The sci-fi portion of the show is interesting, as is the solution. Screw finesse and just push through a problem. Of course, the episode gives us Janeway, Janeway Torres and Torres' simultaneous warp particles line, which is, to me, unintentionally humorous. Overall, a good time. Four singularities out of five. Jonas says... Parallax, the science, of course, is patently absurd, but the character development is refreshing and pleasant to watch, especially when compared to the character development in the pilot. Headline, terrorists with minimal or no Federation training arbitrarily and spontaneously given Federation starship command because problems. Robert Picardo bears all the wings that will, bears, bears the wings that will take us all the way here, all the way through this show. 2.75 out of 5. And then just a couple more. Grappler John Zorn says, this is the second best episode of any Star Trek series, and it's chock full of post-pilot setup for what is to come. I especially like Chakotay and Tuvok, Chakotay and the Maquis crew, and Kess and the Doctor scenes as they establish the essence of these characters in very little time. Unfortunately, the episode also establishes Neelix mansplaining to Kess's plot exposition device and the hold-my-beer level of techno-babble ex machina that we'll see again and again. While the sci-fi plot wasn't definitely structured, it held my interest at least until Janeway and Torres break into patty cake over warp particles i appreciate that robert duncan mcneil was able to deliver able to deliver so you just want me to shove it in there captain without sleaze four hot cups of patuja out of five so he's saying this is he thinks this is the second best star trek episode ever of any show no it's the second it's the best second episode of any trek show okay I was going to say, I mean, I like it, but I don't know if I like it that much. <laughs> no, sorry. I might have misread what he said, but he's, he's saying it's the best second episode of any show. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which it probably is. I think that's uh, yeah. probably not, not probably not a hard thing to say. Uh, last comment. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry. He said this is the best second episode of any Star Trek series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cerulio says the final comment. Well, I thought the scenes of Janeway and Bellana bouncing techno babble off each other was silly. It reinforces my headcanon for explaining away a lot of the writing inconsistencies in Janeway's character. She's a new captain and still trying to find her command style. When we first meet Kirk and Picard, Kirk had been captain for a year or so in the more rigid 23rd century, and Picard had been captain for 22 years aboard the 23rd century style Stargazer. For Janeway, this is her second week, and she's still thinking like a senior officer instead of delegating like a captain. The way she excitedly brainstorms would fit right in with TNG if she, at, if at the end she called Captain Picard and said, I think we've come up with a solution. Three, the Voyagers out of five. Thanks, everybody, for leaving your comments about that one. That's it for Parallax. Support the show, patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to leave some comments. Clay, what are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? I wonder how crazy in love you are with this one right now. So you I'm go coming first. out hot. I'm coming out hot. I'm giving this one a four. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I'll give it a three. I'll give it a three, but I, I really liked this one. Um, the yeah. singularity plot kind of kills me like if this had been all integration stuff i would say like someone should if you're starting voyager you have to watch this this is like the most fascinating part mm-hmm. of the show singularity takes up a little bit too much time for me and it's just not very interesting uh but i love the character work between this and i'm just looking forward to more of these characters uh which is kind of nice and it's good to know that there is there is something there right from the start yeah, I I honestly was expecting a lot worse mm-hmm. um, coming off of because you know 
these first seasons can be kind of rough in places, especially especially coming off of pilots and stuff like that. Um, but I really liked this episode. I thought it was really good. I love the character stuff. You know, I this is the. I know this probably isn't going to be the case because there's lots of episodes of this show. But like, I liked the character stuff enough that if it continues to be this good, I can see myself overlooking a lot of negatives. Yeah. But I have a feeling it's all going to kind of homogenize together. Yeah. I mean, I think the character work has potential to carry you through this stuff. Kind of. Right. Um, Because that's like with Enterprise. With Enterprise, I would have liked Enterprise a lot more, and I would have minded some of the formulaic elements of Enterprise less if there was more of this stuff in there. Yeah. Like, I probably don't mind every episode ending with a gun battle in a hallway if the stuff that you're getting before that feels like it's, you know, yeah. not just empty calories. I, I feel that with the character work that Voyage has done so far, I can see potential in a way that I could not see for Enterprise where there will be sci-fi plots in the future of this show where I'm actually, I care about what happens to the, ca- mm-hmm. like, you know, stuff like... um twilight and enterprise which is the one where they jump into the future and archer you know he's oh, being sure. taken yeah. care of by to i just don't care about those characters enough for that episode to mean anything right. but i feel like i could if i saw you know the doctor or something 10 years down the line i feel that there's a script there where like an older mm. doctor actually has something to say but we'll see thanks everybody for listening patreon.com slash the penske file to support us Leave comments, get all the extra content, get Picard Season 2. Make sure we watch every single episode of Voyager, all on Patreon. Clay, anything to say before we go? Also on Patreon, Amanda and I are covering um, <clears throat> Stephen King movies, that are Stephen King adaptations that are not on our main Rotten Horror Picture Show list. January was It Chapter 2. February was... Uh, Bullet. Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. And f- uh, March will be... Salem's Lot, the mm. seven, the early '80s, late '70s uh, TV adaptation. You know what I learned last night? We were recording uh, Silver Bullet, and um, I one of the trivia elements was that it, Silver Bullet was the tenth Stephen King adaptation, and it was the ninth to come out in the '80s. Silver Bullet came out in 1985, which <laughs> means that there were nine Stephen King adaptations. In five years. And I was like, that can't be true. It's 100% true. Well, not all movies, yeah. though, right? TV mixed in? All there? movies. All movies. All movies. Wow. Yep. Yep. The, uh, hold on one second. I got, I, well, no, maybe I don't. But it was like uh, Firestarter, The Dead Zone, and Christine all yep. came out in like the same year or yep. like in, in like two years or something like that. Uh, hold on a second. I got it right here. What book had he published? caused that to happen at that point i think it was it was carrie the adaptation of carrie i think because that was the first movie adaptation which was in the late 70s and then the shining was 1980 yeah i think it was probably the shining Shining. honestly it was the shining more than carrie but in 1980 was the shining 1980 was creep show which technically isn't an adaptation but he did write it uh, oh, 1983, Cujo, Dead Zone, and Christine, all the same year. 1984, Children of the Corn and Firestarter. 1985, Cat's Eye and Silver Bullet, all hmm. theatrical movies. Interesting. You guys are covering 12 of them, not in that stretch, but you're covering 12 Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. 
Patreon.com slash the Penske file for all that stuff. There's more stuff on the Patreon than there is on the YouTube channel. If you're wondering, that's where it all is. So you can head over there and check it out. Thanks everybody for listening. Clay gives it a four to parallax. I give it a three, but I really like it. I thought it was good. We'll be back with the next episode, which I think is time and again. I'll check that just to make sure it is. It's called time and again. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you later.